Welcome back to the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters. I'm Seb Lozier and it's been another sun-drenched, spectacular week on the French Riviera as the world's finest tennis players have battled it out for the first Masters 1000 title on clay in 2022. A little bit later, we'll hear from some of the biggest names in tennis, including Stan Wawrinka, a wild card here this week, quarter-finalist Yannick Sinner and former world number one Juan Carlos Ferrero. But first of all, let's hear from the champion Stefanos Tsitsipas, who has beaten first-time ATP Tour finalist Alejandro Davidovich Fokina to retain the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters title he first won last year. Steph, huge congratulations. It's a very elite club of, of people who've won back-to-back -back Monte Carlo Masters. Uh, Nadal, Borg, Muster, Nastase Ferreira. We can now add the name Tsitsipas. Tell us what that means. Remarkable. Uh, very proud of myself. You know, things uh, didn't seem to be going well at some point, but I, uh, I managed to stay well composed and uh, kept uh, believing that I, I can finish this uh, off. I'm really proud of the, the belief that I put into my game and uh, the amounts of, uh, you know, there were sometimes you doubt yourself, but it's, it's, uh, it's always important to, to keep your head high and uh, do your job the best you can. Alejandro brought such a good form into the, the match, his first ever final, massive occasion for him, and he really raised his level in the second set, didn't he? What got you through the tiebreak? He was a difficult opponent, I have to say. He, he fought in moments that I didn't really expect him to, to fight. Yeah, he's someone that can always, uh, you know, do <laughs> hit incredible winners out of nowhere and uh, play, play extremely unpredictable, but uh, I was able to really... Uh, uh, <laughs> Minimize that as much as I could today. Uh, I, I knew he, he could be a dangerous opponent. I've played him before. I again proud of myself that uh, that I that I, I believe that's a great win against him, and um, I'm very sure we're gonna see good results from him in the future. He, he's someone that can uh, really compete against uh, the top guys. Great to hear from Stefanos Tsitsipas on his first title of 2022. In other news from Monte Carlo and the rest of the main talking points, world number one Novak Djokovic, well he returned to action and although he lost to Alejandro Davidovic Fokina, the finalist, early on, he is sure to improve back to his best in the run-in to Roland Garros via two more Masters 1000s in Madrid and Rome over the coming weeks. Great to see Djokovic back. The champion of Miami, 18-year-old Carlos Alcaraz, was also in action in Monte Carlo. He suffered only a second loss in his last 18 matches. American Seb Corder proving that Alcaraz is human after all. Corder eventually lost out to fellow American Indian Wells champion Taylor Fritz in the round of 16, who then himself lost to Davidovic Fokina, who beat three Masters 1000 champions, Djokovic, Fritz and Grigor Dimitrov, en route to his first ATP Tour final. And for all the rest of the results from Monte Carlo and all the latest two from Belgrade and Barcelona, both already underway, head to atptour.com. So, it was a good week for Grigor Dimitrov, a first Masters 1000 semi-final for him of the year. One of the most sumptuous backhands on tour was in fine form. And before it all started, I sat down with Grigor to talk clay court tactics and the job of transitioning from American hard courts to Europe's red clay. 
I never mind. I've never been bothered by changing surfaces, any surface, to be honest. Uh, clay is always a little bit more specific. You, I, I, I started my like sort of my my clay court preparation a little bit later than than usual. But I, I just wanted to like give myself like a little bit more time to rest. Plus, I'm home, so it gave me a little bit, um, a bit more comfort, and I think help on that. So, so yeah. I mean, little by little, like you really need, need to look after that one match at a time because it's. Um, you know, it's it's everybody's playing good. Everybody's a, such a good competitor and athlete right now. I always, I always, uh, I think always the the first the first couple of events I would say on clay. I always try to to take a little bit um, sort of of my own expectations. To be honest, not so much of anything else, but just really on my own expectations because I know I can do well. I know I don't shy away from that surface. I've played well. I've I've done great results all in all, but. It's just like right now, it's just very important for me to, to, to build up and this is all I'm focusing on. Focusing on your backhand, which is one of your best shots. I think everyone loves watching your backhand, whether you're slicing or going mm. over the ball. A um, little bit of a masterclass. First of all, yeah. talk to us about the advantages of having the slice in your, in your box of tricks. Well, I mean, slice is uh, it's, it's a very, um, I would say it's a volatile shot in a sense that you know, it's actually one of the first shots I've ever learned. Uh, my dad taught me. I think that I think that was the first shot that my dad taught me. And uh, especially for one-handers, I think it's 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 so important. It's so vital. Um, I think in against any opponent, you you if you're able to find the right the right settings, the right way of putting um, of using it and, and putting the ball in the right spot, it really gives you some sort of an advantage to look after a different shot. So it's you know. Strategically, it's very important to to know when to play it. Um, it's never easy to play it. I always say that, despite the fact that it's just okay, you can just slice it and and kind of put the ball in the court. But you really need to know what to expect after after that, and you kind of need to know when to hit it as well. So I think it's it's just a combination. And I think throughout the years, through the matches that I've played, I've I've I've, I've I feel like I've have a very good like handling of that shot and. I know, I know, I can do quite a bit of damage with it. And then the ability to hit it over the ball, mm -hmm. and almost—is it the confidence to hit over the ball and go cross court down the line? Depending on how the how the opponent's yeah. playing, how high the ball's coming up. Well, the line is uh, again—it's a shot that you really need to know when to kind of go through. I mean, everybody's different. Also, it kind of depends a little bit on your height and how how your. You, the, how you hold the grip on the backhand side, of course, and yes, there's a certain amount of confidence, but in the same time, we, we don't usually hit also down the line just to hit the down the line. We use it also to to change it, change up the pace, change up the angle, and and so many other things. And yes, of course, when you when you have that when you have that uh, that line like really like lined up and you feel you can go. I mean, this is honestly could be actually one of the nicest feelings out there. Going back to the slice, yeah. what kind of player? does it work really well against without maybe singling I mean you had a great experience I think with against Daniel yeah. um, last year in Indian Wells with it well it's for me personally it's very I cannot point at certain game style just because I know in general it does a lot of damage so if for example if somebody's like let's say thumping the ball like really hard you, you want to take that pace off a little bit you got to play it right if somebody I don't know attacks you way too much on that side you want to play it like kind of short so so it's like it, it really depends on the player so that's why I I choose it very I feel like very differently than a lot of players um, 
they play slice sometimes just to play the slice. I play my slice with a lot of intention behind it, and I think that's I think that's why sometimes like I get the, I can, I feel like I can frustrate them. Um, but it really doesn't really matter of the of the style of the player for me. It's just more of like picking the right moment. Just finally on this, what's the best match? Do you think where you've executed the balance between slice and attacking shot? It could be actually one of the matches was against Daniel and Inya Wells. Uh, I think I, would, I, ch I changed my pace like drastically from from one game to the other. I'll, I'll say probably that's one of the one of the matches that I, I felt like I, I kind of got away with it and. Again, even this year at uh, Indian Wells, I think against Johnny as well. Um, I was I was blocking my return so much because I just could not go over the ball. It's just impossible against him. So I just had to block, slice, hit, block, slice, hit. So that was giving me a lot of a lot of different looks, and I think that was I think that was a, a great success. Grigor Dimitrov giving us a masterclass, and for the coach's perspective, I sat down here with coach of quarter finalist Hubert Herkach. That's Craig. So you're, we're transitioning from hard court onto clay, and mentally, uh, hard court you're going to have more first strike points. More, I, I get in front of the point with my weapons, and I can finish it off quicker. Clay court uh, matches are longer, so mentally you've got to you got to be more calmer and understand that there's more of a premium on defense and neutral play on clay because a lot of the points when you're ahead on the clay, you don't necessarily win. So that's first and foremost, you have to understand that. So that's the mental side of it. The physical side of it is on hard court, well, these guys are sliding now on hard more than ever, but, but more so on clay, it's the movement. How do you get in and out of corners quicker? Sliding and hitting the ball as opposed to hitting a ball and then sliding. And then what happens is you lose court positioning. So. You could say um, the 101, a hard court, a faster hard court could be just like a boxing match, two guys standing in the middle of the ring swinging, and clay is more of a chess match, more of a dance. So it's, it's more in and out uh, of uh, offense to neutral to defense, which can happen on every point. Let's explore the physical and the mental side of, of that. Physical first, how do you train for that movement on clay? Well, it takes some time. So transitioning from Miami to now Monte Carlo here, or even last week was the first clay court week, it takes time. And you can see the progression of quality of the matches as it builds from week to week. Week one is kind of fun to watch and everyone's like slipping and sliding all over the place and getting acclimated to what's underneath your feet. Um, it would be more like playing on, running on hard court, or running on wood and now you've got to skate and being able to transition uh, doing that. And, and although players have done it year in and year out, it usually takes a couple weeks for you to feel, for, for most to feel really comfortable and not even having to think about movement, just more in, in strategy. And you'll see this as the clay court season progresses. Different muscle groups? Yeah, different muscle groups, yeah. More like sliding in, involves more of the groin, uh, more of, of that that part of the um, the body when you get on grass it's more like sitting down so it's more the glutes uh, and so you've got to be able to tr not only train that but also be ready for that when that season comes and what about the mindset you you hinted at it um, the grinders love the clay right I mean but can you can you train a non grinder to be a grinder for four three you know three months of the year well it depends upon who you're with 
and, and your player. Um, some some can, can switch, uh, flip the switch. Some take a little bit longer and some you, you might not want to try to transition them too much on the clay. They just play their game. Um, but every surface, when you start with a surface, you have to understand what that surface will deal and will be able to give you. And if you fight the surface, then it, you're going to be fighting yourself and then your patience uh, will, will wear thin and the grinders will get you. In terms of players, what makes a great clay quarter? Uh, well, you look at Rafa and there you go. You just have Rafa. Um, no, but uh, really this, there's, you've got to be able to transition from defense to offense and offense to defense um, is, is, the, is the short answer. Uh, guys that you see them playing deeper in the, in the court now and they can put the spin on the ball and they look like they're in a negative position but they can deliver the ball where they're at neutral or swip, uh, flip the switch and go, go to offense very quickly. And you'll watch, when you watch the tennis, watch the court position. You know, when you watch Rafa, he plays way behind the baseline and, he'll hit, and then he'll hit a ball and then he will then quickly establish the middle of the court with the forehand and get on the offense. So for those at home watching, watch the, don't watch the ball, watch the court position of each player. And that's what I mean by the chess match. That just a small taste of a longer chat with Craig Boynton. And you can hear that this coming Wednesday on the podcast channel. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. One man not worrying so much about tactics as simply being back out there this week enjoying competitive action again after a year out with injury is three-time Grand Slam winner Stan Wawrinka. I'm super happy to be back, uh, especially after more than a year with two surgery. It's been a, a long time out of the tour and uh, all those uh, time off, uh, time out and uh, re-education, rehabilitation was uh, was tough, so I'm happy to be finally back uh, uh, on tournament. I, I know I still have a lot of uh, work and practice to, to do to be back at my level, but uh, I'm enjoying uh, the process. So you're no stranger to comebacks. Um, you've had quite a few tough moments in your career, most recently the injuries and the surgery. But can you tell us the story of this latest comeback? Yeah, it was uh, 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 longer than what uh, we expect from the first surgery last year, one year ago in March when I, did, I had to do a surgery for my foot. Uh, we were expecting to be back a few months later, but uh, didn't work that, that well that, that, like that. So we had to do another surgery in the summer and uh, took, uh, took, uh, I had to take the time to be back. You know, foot is something complicated. You, you have to really take the time to to fully recover and uh, at my age and all uh, I did uh, the, the work I needed to do uh, was completely out of tennis I only start tennis uh, end of February so only a few weeks ago so yeah again I think now I'm, I'm happy to, to be back playing tournaments I know that uh, I'm far away from the level I want to be uh, I still need uh, a lot of weeks and time on the court and also at the fitness gym and everything to to find the, the game I want to find, but uh, it's, uh, it's a good process so far and I'm happy to be here. Well, you've had injuries in your career, but you've also had some amazing big moments in your career. What have you learned from the best moments of your career and what can those moments teach you? I think uh, for sure winning tournaments, uh, it's, uh, it's a special, uh, special feeling in tennis because uh, all your career, most of the weeks you play, uh, you end up losing a match. Even if you play a good week, even if you 
go to the final semi-final and you're happy with your tournament, you need to accept that uh, losing is part of the process. So it's always special to finish the week uh, with uh, winning the trophy, winning the tournament. Uh, you need to you need to enjoy that moment. I did I did enjoy uh, uh, all my career so far. I think uh, I always try to see the positive of. Uh, what what we having losing winning traveling uh, the process of uh, finding you were working out uh, practicing well and uh, yeah uh, I enjoy uh, and I love playing tennis uh, I love playing in front of fans I miss the competition I miss this atmosphere this feeling that when you're nervous but happy in the same times because you entering a, a big match a big moment so that's uh, one of the reasons why I'm coming back uh, hopefully one last time. Tell me, what goals do you have for your return on this comeback? And do you have a motto that you're living by with with the comeback? Well, I think uh, for me it was uh, important uh, to not finish with uh, with an injury. Uh, so it was important to come back uh, to do everything that's needed to to be back playing tournaments. I was playing quite uh, good and quite well before the, the surgery. So I wanted to play a few more years. I think uh, I, I don't even... I don't have right now the goal for 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 the end of my career because I'm I'm far away from the level I want to be. I still need a few weeks or months uh, to be back, uh, uh, feeling good uh, on the court. And I think by the end of the year I I will know a bit more what's what I want to achieve or what I want to try to achieve uh, before ending my career. Stan Wawrinka speaking there with Brendan Gilson. And while Stan is reaching. The twilight of his career, I'm sure he wouldn't mind us saying. One young man just starting out is Italy's Yannick Sinner. And having suffered horribly with blisters in Miami, here, with the help of a legion of Italian fans, he battled through the pain. Looks like it's all good. Um, we made some controls and everything. But if I if if I play a tournament, it means that I am that I am fully healthy and. Uh, yeah, hopefully it's uh, it can be a good tournament. How frustrating is it when something as small as a blister stops you from playing a tennis match? Well, it's the most uh, frustrating thing because uh, the worst thing for me is uh, to lose without competing, and this is the worst. So uh, we try to um, find the solutions in the best possible way that this kind of little things are not going to happen anymore. Um, so, uh, but I'm happy that right now I don't feel anything. The body is good, the body is safe. And uh, so let's see in the next uh, couple of months uh, if something happens. If not, we have to change. But I think you're so mentally strong or you seem very mentally strong. How much is the temptation to just play on and try and play through it actually when uh, you should I, stop? I, mean, I tried. I, I tried. Um, but you know, if, if it doesn't make any sense, uh, it's better to, to stop. But um, sometimes you find also solutions if you have pain. Uh, maybe sometimes you have certain uh, um, yeah, certain kind of movements, uh, so you don't want to go into this one, but you have others where you don't feel anything, and then you, you try the solution somehow to compete, and uh, yeah, it would be easier if, uh, if, if everything is, uh, is, is good. Is transitioning to clay, is it actually better or, or more difficult for things like feet and 
I think feed is uh, the worst is uh, hardcore because the compact there is always uh, quite tough. Um, then obviously it's clay and the best for the foot I think is uh, grass. Just exploring the mental side with you a little bit more, I know you're a skier and you've talked in the past about how when you're skiing you ski for 90 seconds and if you make one mistake it's over and if you can play tennis for a couple of hours and make lots of mistakes and still win, how much do you try and bring that skiing mentality into your tennis? I think it's a completely different sport um, because if you have, like talking about pain, if you have pain you and if you go to ski, um, your mental thing is you have to do the best possible thing for 90 seconds, for two minutes, it depends. Uh, in tennis you can prepare, but you have to prepare for three hours and then you never know, maybe in one and a half hours it's done or no. So these are two completely different sports, but I think um, I can take a lot out of out of skiing because you know how how to move. Um, this is very um, especially how to slide on on the clay. But as I said, it's uh, it's completely different different sports. Bring it back to the tennis. How how important is it to stay patient when you're playing on clay? Yeah, it's the toughest part, but uh, I think on clay you can see that uh, this is tennis because uh, you have to be intelligent, you have to use other kind of shots. It's, it's not only about hitting hard the ball, you have to somehow uh, find the solutions how to hurt the, people, uh, the, the, the opponent and uh, so it's patience is, uh, is a big word in, uh, in clay. Sinner, a quarter-finalist here this week, while for once, young Carlos Alcaraz missed out, beaten early on by Sebastian Corda. The man looking after the fortunes of the 18-year-old Spaniard is Juan Carlos Ferrero. And when we spoke, he was still very much in the afterglow of an emotional win in Miami. Great tournament. I think after he came from Indian Wells playing very good level, the confidence, I think, he, you know, in went up. Um, and yeah, I was to I was talking to him after Indian Wells to you know it's time to to stay focused and keep that level very high because I think you have many chances to not to win but to play another good tournament. Uh, yeah, he had uh, very difficult matches uh, very early against uh, Roberto Bautista that uh, should be very difficult. At the end, it was very easy. Uh, seems that he was playing very good level. And yeah, after match by match, he was playing even better player and the level even increased till, until the final that um, he could play very good level, uh, controlling the motions and nerves and everything. And finally, you know, get the trophy, uh, first uh, Master 1000, very important to his confidence and, you know, his, let's say, mental progress in, in, in that circus. Uh, and yeah, very happy about about the performance that uh, he's he's doing. He's doing. And then, you, well, you say he was he held it all together. The, the mental and the emotional side, it all seemed to come out at the end. You know, it was the the reaction between the two of you seemed so genuine. How strong is the bond between the two of you? Very strong. I think we are together now almost four years, uh, and uh, separating coach and player. I think we are very close friends. And uh, I'm not going to say family, of course, but, uh, you know, that's very close. Uh, and after what happened in Miami, to me, 
you know the the circumstances that that I have during the tournament wasn't wasn't easy for me and e either for him because you know not having your coach on, on on the bench always it's you know not easy so after the semis I decided to go there and uh, you know make the effort to to put away a, a bit a bit the, the emotions and uh, stay to try to give the support that uh, maybe he needs to to, to play his uh, first master thousand final so it was nice to at the end everything goes well and uh, it was it was nice when we spoke in Indian Wells you, you mentioned that one of the things that he still has to work on is the mental side of the sure. game are you surprised almost by how well he's dealing with things mentally uh, we've, we've been working on that very hard uh, I told you that uh, he's he's growing up by match by match and uh, he's uh, he is he doing um, but of course uh, he's surprising me week by week because you know after very important things happen to him and uh, all the things and you know involve this uh, this level that he's doing uh, he's handling very very good uh, he seems like everything is normal to him and uh, he tries to to do the things as normal as, as he can but uh, of course it's the life is changing to him and uh, for the team and um, the good thing that I you know I, I have a lot of experience on that because when I was playing you know I I had more or less same things that has happened to him so uh, the team we are handling good and uh, we are trying to make a little of, of bubble around him and uh, of course it's not easy because we have a lot of people around but uh, he's, he's doing a good job. And in terms of transitioning back to the clay, I yes. guess it's, it's not too difficult or how, what do you need to, to work on to transition no, Carlos? For him it's difficult. Uh, to clay to hardcore it's easier for him. Uh, to hardcore to clay for him it's a little bit at the beginning, some doubts about how he had to play, if uh, he has to play more directly or with uh, some spin on that shot. So, you know, clay, you have to work a little bit more the points. Uh, matches are longer, uh, so you have to be prepared. Of course, the tournament of Rio helps because, you know, he won there and uh, he gets confidence on clay. So I think he came here with a lot of confidence, but after Miami, he had to stop a little bit. Uh, we practice maybe two, three days to come here and um, everything comes, comes so close. But uh, let's hope that uh, he can play good matches at the beginning here of the week and uh, try to get the confidence that he had in Rio and uh, try to play good level again. It's a reminder too, isn't it, that he's still so young, turning up in Monte Carlo, playing a tournament for the first time. Yeah, of course, of course. He's, he's very young. I think he's still uh, 18. and. Uh, First time that he came here and experienced the tournament, he watched on the TV this tournament for many years, so he's happy to be here and he's happy to play the tournament and let's see how it's going. Just finally, just to finish on his tennis game, um, transitioning to the clay, but also all court given what he's just done, talk to me again about what you think his main strengths are. Physically he's very strong to handle the clay. Uh, the points longer, as I said before. Uh, I think it, you know uh, he likes to play long matches here and uh, on clay. And uh, let's say he can manage the top spin and also play more directly if he wants. And uh, let's say he can play different than the, than the other players. There is a lot of players that he plays very directly because they don't have that kind of shots that uh, clay needs to be one of the specialists on this kind of surface. But uh, he has 
that's that's that helps that, that he practiced when he was younger all the time on clay. Uh, so let's see if this helps a little bit to play this level. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Time now for the latest in our coaching masterclass series, this time on doubles. Over the past few weeks, we've brought you a series of features from the World Tennis Conference, supported by the Global Professional Tennis Coaches Association and the Seagal Institute. And for this particular topic, who better to talk with than the father of the most successful pairing of all time, Bob and Mike Bryan. That is Wayne Bryan. And before we hear from Wayne, let's hear from Jeff Kutzier, the coach of Colombian pairing Juan Sebastian Cabal and Robert Farah, the Monte Carlo finalists. We all start playing tennis because we want to. We love the sport. We don't wake up uh, one day and say, okay, today I'm only going to be a doubles player. We all go through the stage, junior stage, college stage, and then some of us, you know, they, they can't be good enough to be high singles players and they go into doubles because you can play this up until 38, 39, 40. And it's great, obviously, for for college, for club level. It's it's great social sport that we have. So uh, what I see a lot at the times, also some singles guys, they just like to play doubles because obviously it teaches you to make a lot of returns at a certain spot. It teaches you to make a lot of first serves at a certain spot. So you, you'll be able to see what your partner's doing. But the most important thing, how the game and singles has also changed. Uh, a lot of people are coming forward a lot more. So they want to uh, be able to to play a lot more doubles. A lot of the youngsters you'll see, they start playing a lot of doubles in the beginning. And when I work with the federation, we're actually trying to bring a lot more doubles into tournaments a lot more because a lot of kids, they play and then they lose and they go into a back draw, which is fine, but that's not the reality. It's great for matches, but in future, I mean, if you're on the tour, if you lose, you know you're out. You've got to go to the next tournament. You can only lose so many times. So, so doubles is also a great way, and and and, and for Davis Cup, for uh, Olympics, it, uh, college, uh, club level, it doesn't matter. It's such a great, a unique uh, a way of of bonding and understanding. You know, it starts with the chemistry between the two. They got to get along, and a lot of teams don't. It's just like divorce. You get married, you got a fifty percent chance of making it. In doubles, you you, you start playing together, you got a twenty percent chance of keeping going. So, there's got to be chemistry. But also the games kind of have to complement. I like one big server. I like a great returner. I like them both being able to, to uh, volley well. I, I think really in doubles, it requires all the shots. When you're watching these guys, they all got very fine serves. They all volley like wizards. They all have very sharp returns. They're very good off the ground. I mean, I can't really think of a doubles player who isn't a complete tennis or doubles player i think singles is checkers i think doubles is chess it's very complicated um you can have two guys that are better but if the other team plays better as a team and does teamwork things poaching at the right time this that that, they can beat quote unquote two better players on the subject of bonding one of the greatest exponents of putting top teams together is longtime doubles coach louis Kaye. First of all, I, I, every time I coach double, I coach three people. I coach a do-side player, maximize his game style, strength, and how to deal with his less good strengths, the outside players, and then the team. So so it, the team is to how they will set up each other, which play will, will help uh, to maximize the strength if someone is very good 
at the net. We'll play a bit more eye. If it's not that good, we'll play more maybe regular if someone. So it's to maximize the strength of each player, but to see how can they combine uh, together also. Because two good players can be playing together and nothing happens. So And when I scout, I scout the do side player, the outside player, and the team, which means how does that team uh, work together to cause problems. And that's it. So it's like for me, like I say, I teach three players and I scout three players kind of in order to go two into a match. So it's like I don't think people realize that doubles, because I do coach singles too, I did. It's much more complex than singles. Much more tactics, much more thing can happen. When you've got the right team and communication is flowing, tactics then come into play. Shortly we'll hear from tennis analyst Craig O'Shaughnessy. But first, here's Louis Kaye again. We do a lot of points where... They have to force two or three down the line returns. So the returner practice down the line, they have to do at least two, three high. So we try to create pressure environment and to practice everything that can happen, which been regular, normal, regular with the poach, high, uh, normal, high with the poach. So you serve every possibilities, you know, normal without and with the poach, high with or without a poach have the returner then return cross in line and always play competitive keep track of percentage of first serve so put pressure on the process and on the outcome and after you get very used a bit the stress it's a bit easier in the match when you serve with desire not just through the go through the motion where you stand really matters uh, on a doubles court so you are visually shrinking and expanding the area based on exactly where you're standing so it's very important to get our positioning right at the start of a doubles point. You know, the difference between being in position and being out of position, if we have a racket and we put the ball in the sweet spot, you're in position. But if we move it this far over to the edge of the racket, you know, we've now got a miss hit and that's out of position. So, you know, when a lot of players say, well, you know, how far have you got to be to be out of position? Essentially, it's about this far. So if we're one to two steps out of position, it's certainly a long way. The service partner I like to start them dead in the middle of that service box. So you kind of draw the lines from from one corner to the other, and then where they bisect, that's your center area. That's where you start. Most players are starting a little bit further to the left and maybe even a little bit further in. But here, you're able to cover a lot more area and be a lot more efficient as a service partner. The returners partner, we've got slightly behind the service line. So the returners partner is by far and away the toughest position on a doubles court the server gets to hit the ball first then the returner then the service partner so you're last in line you're the last person invited to the dance and so in a lot of ways you're you're defensive you know possibly neutral but but a lot of times defensive in nature so if we move you back just outside the service box you have time to react you have time to react if the service partner gets involved in the point a lot of times the service partner is going to want to play through that middle area and if you're back blocking that area and and giving yourself reaction time, you've got an opportunity to defend and keep the point going. 50% of the players now stay back. So even seven years before a guy who's serving stay back say, yeah, I play doubles, but I don't play proper doubles. I stay back because they were maybe just 5%, 10%. Now no one will say I don't play proper doubles. Do you play doubles? Yes. Serve, stay back, smack my forehand. So that's part of common now which in a way is good for the club members and the pros teaching the clubs because I saw coaches and clubs forcing everybody to serve in volley 
or to play always one up one back on the return because they say that's the way the pros play so now if a member like me 66 if i want to stay back on my serve they cannot say no no pros serve in volley because you know like only 10 percent of the lady max serve in volley and now it's only 50 percent of the men and uh, there's often now to see both back on the return so the members now can pretty much play the way they want. Sometimes even for the greats like Rohan Bopana, tactics can be as simple as watch and learn. Uh, I mean, I love watching these young tennis players today, the way they are moving on court. Obviously, I'm not trying to match that, but still the way, uh, you know, they... I constantly... Because I have a tennis academy back home, so I keep trying to see, you know, um, the way they move on the court. Of course, everybody hits a fantastic forehand, backhand serve, but it's the way they, that first one or two steps they, you know, after uh, after the return, the way they are positioning themselves, which part of the court, uh, you know, all these small things, which uh, I think over the uh, years, I understood and learned to watch these things. Otherwise, you end up just yeah, watching them hit a winner or a great serve. But these are the small things, uh, you know, I have picked up to, to really see and also when the Bryans used to play of course I watched them a lot I've played against them for so many years there's so many things great things you get uh, uh, you know to learn from them you know the way when it's a big uh, moment in the match or what kind of percentage play they play what is the uh, most used kind of serve and uh, you know and how they bring in the partner as well to help uh, you know develop that and I think you know these are the few things uh, you know I have learned uh, you know watching uh, a lot of the players uh, in our tour. With the game becoming ever more physical, a blend of fitness, speed and power is crucial. For those key traits, look no further than the world number one doubles player right now, Joe Salisbury. For most people to, to play well, you have to be kind of high energy and getting getting yourself fired up and uh, just because sometimes the points are shorter so you need to raise your energy in between the points. Sometimes the, the speed of things can be quicker with the reaction volleys and you need to be on it. Like it could just be for one shot, one point. Obviously you've got the sudden death juices. So you kind of have to have be playing with high energy throughout the match. And that's something that we weren't as good at or we struggled as a team because we were, are both kind of fairly chilled out, relaxed, um, especially off the court. And it's not naturally how we are on the court. So we had to try and um, improve that as a team to get ourselves... Yeah, to have have more energy on court. Try to exaggerate it, do it as much as you can. Try and go over the top, and just yeah, trying to do it as, as much as we could. Uh, and gradually, it's sort of improved, and now it feels a lot more natural for us to be to be like that. It's almost like we kind of just flick a switch and and become a little bit different when we when we step onto the court. More often these days, singles players are also opting to play doubles on tour, and that's a positive according to American doubles player Luke Jensen and Brit Jamie Murray. Definitely adds a, a buzz to the to the event. So, you know, when when these guys turn out and play, especially like in the in the Masters series and stuff, and I'm sure the tournaments like it that they get, you know, these star players playing an extra one or or two matches on. Uh, on court like it's it's great for them and, and everybody wins um, obviously it's difficult for them to do it week in week out just because of the nature of the sport and the physicality of of the of the singles game and the the demands that are placed on their their bodies and obviously it's different at, at Grand Slams again because it's it's five sets um, you know and the prizes on offer for the for the singles guys especially is so huge these days like why would you 
why would you why would you risk it i guess more singles players play doubles than ever before back when i played there were double specialists the whole doubles ranking got in you couldn't use your singles ranking to get in but uh, doubles is fun to watch it's fast how we promote it is a discussion but the uh, i believe the more personalities how we relate to our fans who play doubles is is very key to me you look at the the jen brady's the, the French Open champion who won the singles and doubles at the French on the women's side, Krejcikova. To me, that is the John McEnroe model. Stefan Edberg did it that way. Of course, the great, in my opinion, the greatest of all time tennis player, the most accomplished, is Martina Navratilova. Even though Margaret Court has more grand slams, Navratilova was the one that insisted singles, doubles, and mix, playing at the highest level. That's what I think we miss. Luke Jensen on promoting doubles, something arguably no one has done more and better than Wayne Bryan, father of Bob and Mike. I'm a big believer in the great sport of doubles. I think if more we had more junior programming for doubles, more coaching for junior doubles and more promotion of junior doubles, we could bring more kids to our sport and we could keep more kids in our sport. Doubles rounds out skills. It teaches additional life lessons. And I think the biggest thing about doubles, there's always more smiles on the doubles court. When there's more smiles and laughter and happiness, uh, kids are going to gravitate to it and have a great time. Some kids just like the team thing. Same with adults. If you go to any club in America, Saturday morning at 10, what do you see? 17 courts of doubles. Um, People love doubles. We need to promote it more, coach for it more, and uh, program for it more. Wayne Bryan and before him, so many other world-class views from world-class players and coaches in doubles. That is it for this week. My thanks to all of them. Also to Stan Wawrinka, Juan Carlos Ferrero, Yannick Sinner, Grigor Dimitrov and Craig Boynton for their time. I'll be back next weekend rounding up events from Barcelona and Belgrade. And in the meantime, remember to check out the podcast channel for more of that exclusive chat with Craig Boynton and for more from the recent World Tennis Conference. I'm Seb Lozier. Monte Carlo has once again been a blast. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.